Are you aware of this great Saviour King who has bought you at a price and now you owe everything, your whole life, your breath, and the rest of your days living for this great Saviour? This world around us that doesn't know Jesus, it needs us doing that. So as you come this morning, welcome to church. And I hope by the end of it, you are just once again revitalized and reinvigorated and refocused on living for this great God, um, this great Saviour of ours. Welcome to church, especially if you're new here, you're visiting. I really um, hope and pray you have a great service with us this morning. Stick around at the end. We're going to have tea and coffee down the back and just yeah, meet some people. It's a good thing. When you, when you came in, you would have received a bulletin. Looks like this snappy publication. Inside it, there is a, uh, a blue response card. That snappy publication. And uh, what we're going to do today is during the service, just um, be filling that out. Um, if you want to make a comment or a prayer request or um, want to respond in some way, that is a great way of doing it. And then at the end of the service, after we've concluded, there is a a blue box down the back there in front of the tech desk and you kind of like slot it in the little blue box, kind of like mailing it. It's like participation or something like that. Anyway, fill it out and after the service, put it in the blue box down the back there. Also, if you're looking at your bulletin, there's heaps and heaps of stuff in it. I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things. The first is on the front page there you see uh, big bold letters, Grace and Mercy. There is a, a prayer, a time of prayer happening this coming Tuesday for the Murray-Darling Basin to actually pray for rain. And um, it's something we really need. Like This weather's glorious, but it's not uh, rain, so we need to be asking God to send that for our whole country, but also for Murray-Darling. So Tuesday, this Tuesday, at 12 o'clock at the Hume Weir, it starts. It goes for half an hour out there at the Hume Weir. And then they move, and they move into the causeway at Wodonga behind the information centre there, and that's going to be praying there from 1 to 1.30. It's going to be a really important thing to do, so please uh, make that a priority this Tuesday. Uh, and for more information, you see there Glenda Taylor, Mobile, and Mary Copeland as well for a Mobile. But um, get along there to be praying for our dry land. Um, also, we, we took up an offering last week. I can't... Uh, I should have spoken to someone beforehand of how much we actually raise. The evening service is yet to give, so maybe we'll leave that till next week. Uh, but on the reverse side of the bulletin, we, uh, there's a Mission Watch spot that tells us about um, Graham and Pam Keane and their current financial situation. And last week we gave to them, and you can still give today if you've got an envelope, you mark um, Graham and Pam Keane and stick it in the offering a bit later. But they're currently, it says, at 58% of their requirements um, when they've reached 90% of their financial requirement, then GIA will send them over to Malawi to help the Gervans. So they're still waiting on that remainder. So we can still be generous to them and still be praying uh, that, they, that God provides for them. Finally, um, the Christmas musical is coming up. It's very, very soon. If you're interested, the audition scripts can be got at the information desk after the service tonight. So if you're a budding performer... Um, then go and do that. And then on the 6th of October, um, coming up, there's a, it's the kind of, it all begins, doesn't it? On the 6th of October. So that's like next week. It's not far away at all. So if, you're invo- if you want to get involved, get involved, info desk, speak to Sandy, uh, and then get along to that 6th of, of October night. Well, that's it for me. Um, what I'd like to do, though, before we um, just uh, spend a few moments in prayer... Why don't we read from the Bible the scripture that Gail will be speaking to us 
from this morning, and it's uh, 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 10. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 10, if you have your Bibles there, you can open up. Probably worth noting as well as we get ready to read from the Bible that uh, Hawthorne won a grand final. Yeah, who cares? But, uh, um, the funniest thing, though, is that our senior pastor, Jonathan Stark, who's on holiday, goes for Hawthorne. And this, is not, this boast that he could make this morning, but he can't because he's in lawn, it's not going to come around for another 20 years. <laughs> but anyway, 1 Timothy, chapter 4, reading from verses 1 to 10. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God has created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labour and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all men, and especially of those who believe. It's going to be great to hear um, Gail preach to us this morning from that passage. Let's pray though now. Hallelujah, Father God. Hallelujah, what a saviour. We this morning, God, owe everything to you. And Father God, we pray that as we meet here this morning, as your people gathered in this building, Father God, that you would teach us, that you would lead us by your spirit, And our God, at the end of this service, our lives would be once again refocused and revitalized to be living first and foremost solely for the praise of your name. Father God, our prayer is that this world that gathers, where 100,000 people can gather to the football, Father God, that this, this gospel, this kingdom news, that you, Jesus, would be the place that people gather to. And Father God, we pray for the surrounding community. We ask that you would have mercy upon them and that many people would come to know you, Jesus, and live for you now and for always. Father God, we love you. And this morning we praise you. We praise you in song. We praise you with our lives and our hearts. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.
the um, cats were upset, weren't they, in the, in the footy. So, and you know what? I love the footy. I really do. I never used to, but I married a man that loves football. And so over the years, he's kind of influenced me to really enjoy football and I love it. But I can remember it wasn't always that way. I can remember the first time Warren took me to a football match, but actually wasn't a live match. It was in um, the Jindera pub, actually, some 30 years ago. And it was on a big wide screen. And at that time, I loved knitting. And uh, I took my knitting with me. And um, we were sitting in the pub watching the, the football on the screen and I was knitting. And this fella walked past and he got his foot hooked into my ball of wool and he walked all around the room. And when I got to a certain place, I couldn't knit anymore. And so I'm winding up the wool, dodging in and out of all these big burly blokes in the Jindera pub. And I finally wound up to the guy that had the wool wrapped around his foot. And I said, do you mind? It's my, it's my wool for my knitting, you know. And Knitting, you know, in a pub watching the football. But I have to tell you that I did improve. My um, love for the game did improve. We did, he did take me to the MCG, the hallowed turf of, of football. And um, I remember the very first time I went there and uh, Warren reminds me afterwards that most people... In fact, probably 99% of the people were looking at the game. And uh, I was fascinated because I was looking at the crowd. And the crowd were far more interesting than the game to me. Um, there was one little old lady and, and she just looked so beautiful and old and demure. And she had her little flask of, of hot cocoa or whatever was in it. And... Um, <laughs> She was sitting there with her beanie and, and I thought, oh, this and we smiled and she was a few seats down from me. And when the game got started, I, I could not believe what could come out of her mouth. <laughs> uh, and so I was very indoctrinated by the football code. But over the years, my husband has influenced me to really love the game. And yesterday, yesterday was just a great day. It was the grand final. And I don't know if any of you read the Age newspaper, but this was in the Age, in the middle of the Age yesterday in the sports section. And it says, how the cats saved football. Well, they didn't save football yesterday. But it does talk about, in the last few years, how the game has been brought into sort of disrepute because there's been this... Um, influence in the game, which has not been great. It's, it's a thing called flooding, where um, the people that invented it, really the primary principle underneath is that um, in order to not lose, you act really defensively. And the cats apparently have really developed this totally opposite type of game, where the game is in order to win you attack the ball and they've proven that this works because I think they've won 42 out of, I don't know, 50 games in a row. And so other teams have followed suit and they've been influenced by the way the Cats have played the game. And then I turned it over and in the next little section, Robert Walls, who's a um, football commentator, he writes about the key players that will be in the game yesterday and one of them is a real pin-up boy called uh, Cameron Ling and Cameron Ling 
Um, Cameron Lean says, uh, Robert Wall says that uh, he reckons Ling would die for the Geelong jumper. And I read that and I thought, wow, that's incredible, isn't it? That someone would be that passionate about something that they love so much, they would die for it. And it got me thinking about this whole concept of influence and uh, the incredible influence that Warren has had on my life to be a real lover of the Essendon football team. And, uh, and the influence that the Cats have had on really changing the nature of the AFL game. And I have to tell you, you might only think it's just a game, but it's actually more than a game. You might have heard that. And um, it actually, you only have to look at the papers, the media and in Melbourne to see that, you know, there are people that just elevate football to almost fanaticism. So influence is really significant. And I wonder today, as we continue through the book of 1 Timothy, we've looked at um, how Paul has instructed Timothy in the first three chapters of 1 Timothy on how to live a godly life, but particularly godly conduct within the church. And he's covered instructions in relation to areas of salvation, grace, uh, rules for conduct in the household of God, uh, rules for men and women, uh, leadership and what to look for in leaders. And we, if you remember, if you were here last week, we stopped and we paused and we said, you know, instruction without the reason why, instruction without understanding what is the purpose behind it, what is the real reason behind it, just doesn't change behaviour. And we stopped and we realised that last week the real reason behind it was that we together are all part of the household of God. And as the household of God, we have the incredible privilege and the incredible um, responsibility as the foundation and pillar of truth to uphold Jesus Christ to the world. Jesus, who was revealed in flesh, you recall, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed in the world, and was taken up in glory. And now Paul is coming to this section in 1 Timothy 4, and he's saying, I've already told you what to do. I've already told you the why, why it's significant to do that. And today I want to remind you how difficult it is to stay on track, how difficult it is to have that why, the why of godly living ever before you and to be in that daily. Because you know what, Timothy, we have got so many influences, primarily deceptive influences that actually undermine the, the foundation and pillar of truth, Jesus Christ. And in what um, uh, Phil read to you just a minute ago in your Bibles, and I'd ask you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 
to 10. And we can see that these deceptive influences, we, this is really relevant to us here today, some 2,000 years later, that these deceptive influences are rife in our lives, in, in the world and in our church. And they primarily fall into three areas. These deceptive influences are from Satan, they are hypocrites and liars, and the deceptive influences are also false beliefs. So we're going to turn now to uh, verses 1 and 2, which says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. That's pretty um, strong language, isn't it? And it, it actually immediately transitions us into a different realm. We suddenly take off our very worldly lens and we're thrust into an area of spirituality where there's a battle going on. There's a battle between the Holy Spirit and there's a battle, a real battle, between Satan and his enemies and his demons. And, you know, in, in Ephesians 6, it tells us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the powers and principalities of evil and darkness in the heavenly realms. And I have to tell you that today, that statement from Scripture is as true then as it is today. It really is. And Paul is saying here that many have turned away from the one true faith. You know... When I first married Warren, I wasn't a Christian, but his family were Christians. They uh, practice and, and still worship in the Salvation Army Church. And I have to tell you, I didn't realise that the Salvation Army was a church some 30 years ago. I, I thought that the Salvation Army was just a welfare agency, but I was wrong. Primarily, first and foremost, they're a church. And I actually used to love going along to their church, even though I wasn't a Christian. And I loved the way they would wear those funny uniforms and I'd love the way they'd break out with timbrels and the band and sing spontaneously. And it was a really alive church. And I, I say funny uniforms in, in um, tongue-in-cheek because at that stage, uh, you know, this was... Um, the late 70s, early 80s, and so it was kind of starting to become a bit archaic to wear uniform like that. But you know what? They were passionate. They were absolutely passionate for their belief that they were in the army of God. They were fighting a battle, a battle for lost souls, and they really influenced me. They really influenced me. And I, I came to the Lord some years later as a result of their influence in my life and the influence of Warren's father, who was a very godly, honourable man. But, you know, it's really sad to say that since those years, if we're to look back at photographs of people that were in that church at that time, people that were on fire, people that were alive for Jesus Christ, do you know, it is true to say that the vast majority of them are now no longer walking with Jesus. They're now no longer attending church. They're no longer attending worship. They're just going nowhere. 
and they're doing other things. You see, the influences of the world and the influences of Satan and his deceptive spirits and teachings have really impacted them. And my heart grieves. It grieves and it grieves all of us here when we know people that have fallen away from the one true faith, that being Jesus Christ. And the teachings that Paul was specifically talking about at this time was a teaching at that particular time in culture 2,000 years ago, which was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was basically the belief that the material world is evil, that the body is evil and that only the soul is spiritual. And it came out of a Greek foundation from Greek philosophers. And these um, these, belief, these um, you know, Gnostics, uh, philosophers, they actually didn't believe that God was totally good because if he had come in contact with man after the fall, he would have been tainted by the human race. So they believed that not everything about God was good and that not everything God created was good. And um, they wanted to go back to a time that was pre-fall because they believed that that was a time before man was tainted and therefore God was tainted. And if you look in Genesis 1, their whole idea was that in that time God walked with man, but Adam and Eve, they believed, were not married and that they didn't eat meat, they just ate the food uh, of the, the trees and the plants that were there in the garden. And so that, that was their philosophy and their teaching, and this was creeping in to the Ephesian church. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But I think today we can equally think of a number of strange and weird philosophies and teachings that have come in to the Christian church you know, I know that some of you have come out of sex, that you have believed for many, many years, some of you, that you have received true teaching. And it's not until you've actually believed the one true faith or heard it for the first time that you've realised that all your foundation that you've been living on and built your belief on has been false. Do you know, I just read, which astounds me, that the Anglican Church in England, and you can go onto the web and see um, um, articles in um, English papers that talk about the, the leadership in the Anglican Church right at this moment is apologising to the scientific community and to the uh, proponents of evolution to say that we got it wrong. <laughs> And they make this claim in one article against those noisy creationists. Now, that's true. And that's coming from people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus Christ. So don't be fooled. Please do not be fooled. We live in a day where our one true faith, our foundation of faith, is being influenced at such an incredible assault by the enemy, which is Satan. The other thing I want you to notice about this scripture is that there is no neutral ground. You are either influenced by the Holy Spirit or you are either influenced by the devil. There's actually no middle ground here. 
just like in the grand final match yesterday, you just cannot accept someone that walks into your room when you're watching two teams and say, oh, you know, I don't really care. Um, I, I don't care who wins. I'll just go for the winner. No, when you're hosting an AFL grand final, no one that comes to your home can say that. They either say they're barracking for Geelong or they're barracking for Hawthorne, even if they don't. And it's the same principle here. We are either influenced by the Holy Spirit every day of our lives, day in, day out, or actually influenced by the devil. It's something to think about. And these people are hypocrites and they are liars and their consciences are dead. Matthew um, in 24.5 says, The Lord said, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Um, we have hypocrites in the Christian church today that are influencing people for Satan. And it says their consciences are dead. Or in another scripture it says, or other translations, their consciences have been branded. And what that basically meant was that a runaway slave or a soldier who deserted from the army, if they were caught, they would actually be branded by an iron, a hot branding iron. And they would forever have the mark that they were ashamed and they were a deserter. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, these people that follow deceptive spirits have had their consciences branded or they're dead. They've been shamed. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, it says, These people are false apostles. They have fooled you by disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised, says Paul, even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. I have to tell you, we have to be careful. Who are you being influenced by? Who are you listening to? Are you following the one true faith or are you getting your ears tickled by the barrage of influences that we have in this world? You know, the Bible talks about the fact that the seed that is sown in us, the word of God, can be so easily taken away from us. In Matthew 13, in the parable of the seed and the soils, it says that as the farmer went to plant some seed, he scattered it across his field and some seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell on shallow soil and underlying rock. The plants sprang up quickly, but they soon wilted beneath the hot sun and died because the roots had no nourishment in the shallow soil. Other seeds fell among thorns that shot up and choked out the tender blades. But some seeds fell on fertile soil and produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even 100 times as much as been planted. And Jesus goes on to explain that as the seed that fell on the hard path represents those that hear the good news about the kingdom but don't fully understand it, then the evil, come, the evil one comes and snatches the seed away from their hearts. 
You know, our consciences, conscience is housed within our hearts. The rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go down deep. At first they get along fine, but then they wilt as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because of the word. The thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the good news, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of this world and the lure of wealth. What an influence. So no crop is produced. The good soil represents the hearts of those who truly accept God's message and produce a harvest 30, 60 or even 100 times as much as been planted. We have to be careful that our faith, our faith which sometimes I think is as fragile as this light here. Sometimes I feel my faith is as fragile as this light, that when the wind comes or influences come, just blows it out so quickly. Is that where you are today? Is that where your faith feels like as fragile as this one little flame? We have to be aware of the influences that are around, the influences that were in Paul's time, these Gnostics were saying it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. Well, they were saying that because they had a false belief that there had to be something added to the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from him and him crucified, that it wasn't enough, that we had to somehow buy some strange rules of conduct, show our godliness. And as I said earlier, they felt that we had to add to the true gospel of Jesus Christ by not being married and by abstaining from certain foods, particularly meat. And Paul goes on to say, this is a false belief. This is a deceptive influence. And instead, Timothy, I exhort you to have healthy influences within your life and in your people's life. Have a true belief. And the true belief is that God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, not bad. God is not bad. And what he produced and created is not bad. God is good. And everything God created is good. And we shouldn't reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. Do you know, I love God. I really think he's good. I went for a drive out to Yakandanda the other day and I looked around at his creation and I, I marvelled. I just thought, it's beautiful. It's, it's breathtaking. God is good. His creation is good. I looked at that and I thought, how does a big bang create this? I don't get it. I don't get how they get it. 
I just don't get it. You know, God is good and God wants us to enjoy what he created. God is the master artist. You know, an artist that spends his or her life pouring themselves into a creation, a beautiful piece of art, doesn't then just hide it away so that we can't view it. It's to be put on display so that we can marvel at it, so that we can often have a spiritual experience when we look at a beautiful piece of art. And God wants us to enjoy what he has created. God is good. And what he's created is good. But there is only one thing that Paul is instructing Timothy to remind us of in refuting these deceptive influences. And that is remember to be thankful. Remember to honour. Remember to say, thank you, God, for what you've done and what you've given to me. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for the food that is on my table. In fact, it's important, particularly with our food, that when we come to eat, we give thanks to God through prayer and to be reminded through his word that everything that he made is acceptable. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. Eat everything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The only, only prerequisite is thankfulness and one other, and that is, and it's not in this scripture, but if what we do causes another brother or sister to sin. We are to, not, we are to restrict ourselves. But apart from those two, there is nothing to restrict us from enjoying and from celebrating and rejoicing in God who is good and in his creation, which is, which is good. Amen? And so Paul goes on to say, Timothy, instead of these deceptive influences that are there in, your, in the church and in the world, I want you to instruct in healthiness. I want your people to continue to be influenced for godliness. And there are four ways, Timothy, from this word that you can do that. The first is through godly instruction. The second is through truth, which is the word of God. The third is through resisting deceptions and influences that are unhealthy. And the last is through training. And, Timothy said, and, and Paul says to Timothy, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. You know, last week I exhorted you 
You know, I might have sounded heavy, but I exhorted you to turn up to church. And the reason being is that we saw last week that we're the household of God. And the language was that as a household, we all are in relationship with each other. And the one time that we gather in the household, just as a household, your household, is over an evening meal. And and that evening meal is to be savoured because that is usually in your own domestic household, that is where we come together and we celebrate and we ask out how each other's going, we eat the meal together and it's where we um, consolidate who we are. It's where we reaffirm, this is us. This is the Hill household or, or the Taylor household. In the same way, when we come together on a Sunday, it is the only one time that as the household of God, we can actually come together and know <coughs> this is who we are. We are the people of God. And when one of you is missing, it's like, it's like in our domestic households when we come to eat and only half of us are there. And as the years go on, I mentioned last week that the evening meal no longer be- remains a celebration. It becomes more like a restaurant where there's the revolving door and people are coming and going and the result is fragmentation. And in the same way, when we come on a Sunday to church, if we don't commit to it, if we're not influenced to say that this is my priority, then we become fragmented. And our responsibility of upholding the truth and honouring Jesus becomes fragmented. But the other reason that we come together on a Sunday is that that is where you receive godly instruction from the word of God to help you to live godly lives. And just like Jonathan or Phil or myself or Mandy or um, Mason or Aaron or Darren or Andrew or whomever has ever preached David from this platform, hours and hours and hours are spent in preparation, unpacking God's word so deeply so that the truth is expounded. And the Bible says in Hebrews that the word of God is like a double-edged sword, piercing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. When the instruction of God's word goes out in the household of God, the body of Jesus Christ is built up. And that is why you make it a priority to come every week. That is why you make it a priority because this is about the influences in your life that help you to stay on track and not fall away. And Paul says to Timothy, if you explain this, Timothy, as hard as this is to your brothers and sisters, you will be a worthy servant of Jesus Christ one who is nourished by the faith and the good teaching you have followed. You know, I know in my own life that if I don't get into the word of God, I can be like this candle. I really can. 
there's a lot of influences out there. I can so easily get distracted. I can so easily start to think things that are just a degree off centre until finally they become a whole 360 degrees off centre. Has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah? We need to have our consciences nourished by the word of God daily and by faith. You know, we've been doing a series called Growth Works on Tuesday nights and it's how to grow spiritually uh, and mature in your Christian faith. And one of the things that they talk about is that when Jesus said to his disciples, come, follow me, in Luke chapter 9, he almost immediately then turns around and says, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And that's a strange thing to say to a new convert. One would think that as we grow spiritually, we grow into being able to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. But, but the scriptures are clear, no, no. You start the process of spiritual growth by denying yourself and that part of self, which is the me-isms, which is the rebellious part, which is the part that's open to the ways and the influences of this world, you deny that immediately and you deny it daily. And we can do that. One of the ways we do that is by reading the word every day, every day, and having our souls and our consciences nourished by the word. The third way is that we're to resist. We're to resist the enemy. Paul says, do not waste time or have nothing to do in another translation, arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. In 1 Timothy 6, later on, he goes on to explain this more and he says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. You know, I have to say, I, I think we all remember a sermon that Norman wrote about uh, murmuring in the church. And I believe part of what Paul is instructing Timothy in order to have a healthy influence is to say, hey, if anyone's murmuring here, if anyone is engaging in godless ideas or if anyone is engaged in quarrelsomes or controversies or malicious talk or creating friction amongst the brethren, resist them. Resist them. I don't want to hear that. That's not godly. I don't want to hear that because our aim is to build up the body, the household of Jesus Christ, uh, 
and to honour Jesus. God might be speaking to you here today. Resist. But finally, train. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value. You know, when we talk about people like a Buddy Franklin or a Gary Ablett Jr., and we hold them up as heroes, and they, they are worthy models. They didn't just get there. They had to work at it. They had to work hard. We didn't see the hours and hours they put in alone in a gym or running somewhere for kilometres. We didn't see the hours of pain and strain and toil and commitment that they made to getting their bodies and their skills to a point where they are held up as examples. And Paul is saying that that same analogy of training yourself is really one way that you can influence your life for good. And physical training, he says, does have uh, real value. But he says... Godliness, godliness has value for all things. Godliness is really what we need to be training ourselves for. You know, it's interesting because I guess we have to get to the question of which one between physical training and godly training is actually going to give us the... Um, skills and understanding we need for, for an eternity. And, you know, only training for godliness will do that. Physical training has its value. But once we die, our bodies will no longer be of benefit to us. But if we have been trained in godly ways by denying ourselves, by resisting, by coming under instruction, by immersing ourselves in the truth, by training in that way, that godliness will help us not only in this life, but Paul says it will hold promise for both this present life and the life to come. You know, this isn't all that there is for us that know Jesus Christ. I think sometimes as we live our lives, which are fairly fragile, our faith, we get immersed in culture. We're like the seed that grew up and the cares of the world crowded us. Or perhaps we're like the seed that when it went down, it just went into shallow ground and and. Influences came along that caused us to, be, to fall away. Or perhaps sometimes we're like the seed that we saw was just uh, not fully, we didn't fully understand the true commitment and what it would take to follow Jesus. And so it was easier to just let the enemy come and steal our faith. But you know... Our faith 
can be as fragile as this or it can actually light a fire. It can. That one little fragile faith can actually set a bushfire alight, use Australian colloquialism. Who are you being influenced by and for? Is your influence fully for Jesus Christ or is it absolutely attacked constantly by Satan and his demons? You know, Paul winds up our scriptures by saying we have a hope. Our hope is in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And, and Paul says this is why we work hard and we continue to struggle. Yes, Paul's saying it's a struggle. It is a struggle, isn't it? Let's be real. Let's be honest. Many of us, most of us daily feel like this. It's a struggle. But our hope is in the living God who is the saviour of all people and particularly for us. That's our hope. That's why we continue to, to be influenced for good, by good. That is why we continue to train. That is why we continue to open ourselves up to instruction under God's word here every Sunday. That is why we open ourselves up to the word of God. That is why we resist all that is ungodly. Because it matters. It matters. I would love it if we were as passionate about Jesus and his church as the godless people in Melbourne are as passionate about their football team. I would love it. And sometimes my heart breaks. And I have to tell you, my heart has been breaking lately because we're so lukewarm, we're neutral, and we shouldn't be. We're either one or the other. And I just want for every single person that says yes to Jesus to be open but have their consciences seared by the Holy Spirit and not by the enemy. I want to see lives transformed for Jesus. I want to see lives alight for him. I want to see a bushfire in this church and in this community. That's what I, I desire with my whole heart to see. That's what God desires. Do you know that? That's what Jesus desires. I know we're all human. I'm human. I know we, are all, we all fail at different times, but we've got to be reminded and we've got to act and we've got to train. It's no good being neutral. It's no good being lukewarm. Jesus says in other scriptures, he spits those out who are lukewarm. We could be in the end. Well, Jesus says we're in the end times. The end times are from Pentecost to his second coming. He could come next week. Heaven knows the world and what's happening in the world is, is very scary 
And there's enormous changes and who knows what the next five years will bring. And the question is, who are you going to be influenced by? Who are you being influenced by now? And what is that influence like in your life? And how is that influence having an outworking in your life? I really, in my prayers, have been praying and I really think God is calling us as a body of believers to spend just a few moments just to pray, just to come before our mighty God and to repent. I use that word, repent. To repent of all that we've been allowing in our lives, apart from the Holy Spirit. And I know you must be because I know what my life looks like. (sighs) And I believe God wants us to recommit fully, fully to him again this morning. This might be a time where you want to fill in your blue card and just say, Jesus, I'm coming back because I'm sick of living lukewarm. I'm sick of living neutral. I know the enemy has been influencing me. I want this flame that feels so fragile to burst into flame, into a bushfire. Or there might be some of you that's saying, hey, I know God is good. I love him and I'm living for him, but I want to live even more fully for him. Well, this is your time. We're just going to finish now with prayer. God instructs us in this world to pray and to be thankful, to be thankful for the life he has given us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, oh Jesus, we come before you and we ask forgiveness. We repent of the ways that we've been living our lives, not fully devoted to you, not denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following you daily. We repent that we've not been trained in godliness, that we, 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 we've been lax about our attendance and coming under instruction as the household of God, that we haven't availed ourselves of your word daily. We haven't resisted where we needed to resist. We've allowed the enemy to to try and extinguish the flame of faith that is in our lives. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, we ask forgiveness. Just, Just spend a moment, people, coming before our God and just... Just praying what you need to pray. Don't leave here today without having heard the word and making a commitment that you'll be influenced by the Holy Spirit and not by the enemy. Let's just spend a moment just coming before our God in prayer.